Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move. What a goal. Beauty. Austin Matthews. Bless you, boys. What a game. Welcome to episode 52 of the MLHS podcast. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Anthony Petrielli. And once again, we are diving into William Nylander. We may not stay there as long as we did on the previous episode, but since we last talked to you, the deal is in the books. It's eight years. It's $11.5 million. Not a surprise necessarily, but definitely on the high end of what had been brought up in the past. You know, I think when we were talking, we were talking a lot about the number 11 to 5. And Anthony, you weren't super fond of that then. So does this bump do anything for you in terms of how you feel about the deal? Or where are you sitting with it now that it is officially done? It honestly, it feels like just a continuation of, I guess, the big threes contracts, like since they were restricted free agents, where it's it's like happy they're here, happy they're signed, happy staying. But the the number is, it's tough. Like, let's just be honest, it is. And the reason it's tough, just to be clear and kind of outline it this way, is when you look at market comparables around the league. And the common retort will be cap percentage. We talked about that last last week. But I think even as you look at the cap percentage, you know, like he's close to 14%. And... Like it's 13 plus it's, it's notable. I still think that even in that range of players is really, really high for the player he's been historically. It's not high for the player he's been this season. And I would even say last season, like I know he didn't go nuclear and have, you know, 110 plus points last year, but by and large, if he's getting 40 goals and 90 points, I'm going to find it tough to complain about the contract. Like I'll be honest. Like I'll, he does that for the next four or five years. I'm not going to say too much about it. Like you got to figure out how to build around that. Like that's your problem. That's what being a general manager is all about. Yeah. I think that they have to get him to produce kind of between what he's been the two prior years and what he has been this year. Like, although we can point to things he's done this year in terms of getting off his shot, in terms of um, a lot of things in terms of the penalty killing and the time on ice, like he's been more of a complete package. There's a lot of things you could say about this season, but based on his track record, this season is not a fair expectation for the future. Like if this was what he was going to do every year for the next eight years, then they've underpaid him. Yeah, but, it's the best contract in the league. <laughs> but realistically, I think that this contract is making the bet that, okay, he's maybe not this, but he is somewhere between this and where he was even last year. Like I, And again, if he's the guy he is last year for four years into the deal, five years into the deal, I think that's ultimately fine too. But when you're talking about the price of this contract, that's where I see it. It's like, okay, you are you have taken a step that we are noting with this deal. Maybe not as much as like the raw point total suggests, but we are noting that. And I found it interesting during the broadcast on Tuesday night, like they brought for living on. And, you know, people criticize what general managers say in these type of injuries. Like there's only so much they're going to say, right? But he said something to the effect of, you know, it didn't really matter that much what he did as the season went on, like he had his ass, the thing was a process. And to me, like that has to be bullshit. 
You know what I mean? Like it just has to be like the, the number, yeah. if they had been able to come to an agreement prior to the season, the number would not have been this. It just, it just wouldn't have been. And so in a sense, they've rolled the dice and the, we'll never know the degree to which they lost, but it does have to be acknowledged that by not getting them signed prior to the season, they have lost something on the contract. Yeah. And I think that there, there's a point to talk about the actual, the thing is that with the cap is we're all going to sit here like capologists and scrutinize every penny that went to a contract. But ultimately when I look at it and the thing that I just started to tell people and, you know, conversation in person, whatever you're, you're out and about with your friends is he drives a second line. And now for the foreseeable future, four years minimum, you have Matthews driving one line, you have Nylander driving the other line that has nothing to do, like not nothing, but like, that's pretty much like without Tavares or Marner. Like, even if you didn't, like you have a star, like a legit star. And I do think Nylander is a legit star. I don't think you'd find many people that would argue otherwise. And you have it set that one's driving one line and one is driving the other. And you look at it from a hockey perspective, they just would not be able to replace them. Just would not happen. And there's a common sort of thought process where, People think, okay, repurpose the cap. And I think of that sometimes too. But the gap between losing him and then finding two seven or eights when Nylander, I mean, this year he's been a 10, last year a nine and change, we'll call it. You're not finding that. And the net aggregate of that, I don't think you went out on. I look at a team such as Detroit and some of their free agent spendings Andrew Kopp to a fat mid-year level, you know, five mil or whatever it is. Like signing a bunch of these mid-tier players, even you look at a guy such as Tyler Bertuzzi. And I'm not saying his specific profile, because I think what he brings is it's really hard to measure in terms of the way he wins battles, the way he helps tilt the ice, all those things. But I'm saying if you if you just have, you know, two more of him, but no Nylander, I don't think the team's better. So End of the day, you've already paid Matthews. Now you're paying Nylander to keep him. You're trying to win a cup. I mean, that's the whole point of this thing. And it's just hard for me to see how they could have lost him and become a better team, even though I know they would have had cap space. I just, I don't see it. I don't see that path personally. No, I mean, realistically, when you're talking about star players, they almost never get to free agency. And when they do, you end up paying an incredible amount for him. Like an interesting comparable for Nylander for me is Panarin. And like he got to free agency and he got a contract that was similar to this in terms of raw dollars, but in terms of percentage was way, way higher. And it's because he got to free agency. Now, you know, you can make a, a case about the value of like goal score versus playmaker and some things Panarin has done. Like I'm, he's been absolutely nasty, but also not put up like the incredible raw, raw numbers that Nylander has in some cases. Situation plays into that. It's complicated. But basically, if you get to free agency, you're going to be spending less efficiently i think than this deal or you're going to be trying to get a star through trade and if you're going to get a star through trade you're going to be trading assets the maple leafs don't really have they don't have a great asset pile or you're going to be drafting with relatively low draft picks assuming you even held on to them in the first place which often you don't because you're making win now moves and you're going to hope that someone drafted 23rd overall becomes a star or you're going to you're going to nail a fourth round pick out of sweden on a guy who just wasn't scouted well by other teams like it is very hard to find that route to getting the star. And like the Maple Leafs, their core is all 
homegrown high draft picks, basically. And then Tavares, a guy who they did not spend efficiently on, uh, to put it generously, right? Like, it, as you said, it's so hard to replace that player because the avenues to getting a true star for a team, especially like the Maple Leafs, that doesn't have high draft picks available to them for the foreseeable future, uh, it's just it's unbelievably difficult to find someone who who can dr- drive a lot, can drive a high quality. Like Nylander is a, you're saying he's driving the Leafs second line, but the idea is that both lines are sort of first line caliber in terms of production. Like yeah. someone who can drive a first line caliber group. These players are extremely difficult to find. And it, yes, you can overpay slightly, but there's only so much you can overpay for that guy. We're always going to call it the second line because that's just the reality when Austin Matthews is on the other line. But it's been the Leafs' best line this season, by and large, that quote-unquote Most second consistent, line. for sure, at, at five on five. And the other, so you mentioned Tavares, and you know that's a good example in the sense that he's been legitimately one of the best free agent signings over the past 10 years Panarin right up there too, but Tavares has been remarkably productive pretty the entire time that they've signed up. You have 47 goals that first year. And people complain about that contract all the time. So which and I, I get I get why. So I'm not it's like inefficient, not bad, yeah. right? Which again is sort of what this is. But, but the point being is if you think you're just gonna lose Nylander and then go to free agency, and then you're going to grease up the Andrew Cops and JT Compers of the world, or you're going to pay another star, let alone getting into the conversation of whether you can convince one to come. And let alone the fact that the free agent market is just generally been terrible for the fa- past few years. And it's going to be again this year, by and large. I mean, a lot of what ifs there, as opposed to just keeping your star. So, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, I do, I do have an issue with the way that these negotiations go down and that's and that i think is a little bit different than than the money i just i think it's it's just wild how they seem to have leverage built on them and talking they being the organization because at this point it's from one general manager to the other so at some point you have to you have to be honest and say what's the one common denominator and it's brendan shanahan and we saw it with Marner and the Marner one I did not understand at all in the sense that there was, you know, talk of going overseas. There was talk of an offer sheet from Columbus. He was a restricted free agent and the number just kept creeping up and up. And you just kind of sat there and went, how on earth does he have this leverage on them? I mean, that's crazy. And Nylander, same sort of thing. He has $69 million in signing bonuses. How many teams in the league can afford to do that? And how many teams in the league that can afford to do that would do that? And the Leafs tack on the extra year that nobody can. And he got 11.5. I mean, he got every, and he got the no trade and no move all eight years. He got everything. I don't know how they couldn't leverage legitimately anything to push down. Do they do like, do they think that they pushed the number down? Was Nylander really asking for 12 and they went, ah, we'll settle 11.5. Yeah, I mean, when I look at this contract, it does it does read a little bit like an agent's wish list, right? Like it's like, what could you possibly, with a straight face, ask for? We what else could no he ask for? We want the signing bonus. We want eleven point five. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess in theory, like you could you could start that negotiation at twelve and see where see where that takes you. But like realistically, it you're right, like. Is at the end of the day, is this a net positive? Is it a good day for the Toronto Maple Leafs? So they got Neil on side and sort of secured that future. Yes, it is a positive for the franchise, but 
if you're talking about the negotiation and the fact that the Maple Leafs continually, like, again, win-lose is a bit of a primitive way to look at it. But the reality is that the players seem to be getting pretty much what they want from the organization. Now, Nylander heading towards unrestricted free agency obviously has more leverage than some guys would, especially in the midst of a seat. Like, I can see how this one played out a little bit differently than some of the other ones did because we're right in the middle of the season and he's so close to hitting the open market. And so, he, you know, as long as he doesn't injure himself in the rest of the season or whatever, he was headed towards this massive payday. Hard to bring that number down. Like, I think the criticism is probably that they didn't get it done in, in the offseason. If there was a way to get it done, probably yeah. a way to get it done around 10, I would imagine, um, in the offseason based on his work the prior two years. And yeah, I mean, also just, you know, hats off to Nylander. He bet on himself and won. Like he probably saw some kind of offer in the offseason that we would have seen and thought, you know what, that's pretty good money for Nylander. And, you know, I'm sure his life would have gone fine either way. But he said, you know what, I think I can do a little bit better. And and he did. So I, I don't know. Like, I just don't know how the Leafs could have. I get the frustration with losing, quote unquote, this negotiation. I don't know how they could have won it under the circumstances because they're because Nylander really did have leverage in this case. I think it wasn't one of those like the Marner situation was that was a weird negotiation. And uh, I mean, I think we're going to talk about what the next Marner negotiation that's coming up, because I think that's on a lot of people's minds as well. Yeah. And I think I think on the Marner side, too, I've been thinking about this quite a bit since I wrote about the contract. If you're Nylander for the past season and a half, because I, I thought to myself, we hear all these rumors come out that he was always he always wanted 11 plus and he was pretty firm on that. And I sat there and, and thought, how on earth is that possible? How did he look last summer and say 11? And I'm not, I have no idea why. But I'm just saying on principle, if you're William Nylander now the past season and a half, could you possibly have sat there and said, I will take less money than Mitch Marner on this, my third contract, than he did on his second RFA contract before he's about to get yet another raise coming up? Uh, if you're him, are you not looking over on the ice? You're not watching him with Matthews going, this guy's making more than me right now and then is going to get a raise and I'm supposed to take 10 which is already almost a million dollars less than what he's currently making before he then takes another raise coming up. Yeah. I mean, the inter-team dynamics are a hundred percent a part of it. And like some of that on our part has to be speculation. Like neither of us are inside the mind of William Nylander, but they're human beings. Like that's exactly the same, the way they think, right? Like I think Nylander has been making so much less than these other guys and that gap between how much he's making less of them and the gap in their play has probably not really made sense to him and uh, or has been a point of frustration for him. So the idea that he would want to make more than Marner is 100% reasonable. And also, you know, if I'm looking across at Marner this season, Nylander has been better player than Marner this season. For sure, and I think that's going to be really interesting if Nylander is still playing better than Marner, you know, when it comes time to talk to Mitch Marner about his contract because Marner's expectation would be a raise well above 11.5 million. If you think about cap percentage, you think about inflation, like if you offer him 11.5 million, you're effectively offering him a demotion. Uh, And, you know, it might be that that's something he's willing to accept for a team concept, loves Toronto, wants to be here, believes they're on the cusp of something. Hell, maybe they already won the cup this year and he wants to run it back. But realistically, if you're Marner, like it's hard to envision you seeing 11.5 and thinking, 
yeah, that's cool for me. But at the same time, if you're the Leafs, it's hard to look at him and say, oh yeah, well, you you played much worse than Nylander this year. Let us give you more money. Like that, that's an odd proposition on either side. I'm not going to hold my breath for this just because of everything we know from the past whatever amount of years. But it does set up an interesting scenario where Marner could be the guy that takes just a little bit less now and becomes extremely well liked for doing so. Oh, it's all he has to do. Boom. He's a hero. Instant You're in hero every other commercial death. I see on television anyway. Just add like be in all of them. You'll he'll make that money back pretty quickly. So the last thing I'll say on the overall point, because I've I've talked about, you know, the idea of losing Nylander and then backfilling that money with, you know, two sevens, two eights, and why I don't think that's palatable is I think I, I do think that we look at the game and it's a, it's a team game. I, and I'm a huge football fan, but I still think hockey is the ultimate team game just because of the pace and how free flowing it is and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to get into that whole spiel at this moment, but it's really hard to replace stars. I mean, I was watching Colorado play Boston and they won in a shootout this week and I've watched a decent amount of Colorado and we're about to see them play the Leafs and they look good. Colorado's a good team. I don't think there's any doubt. Like I don't think anyone would fight that, but their Stanley cup team was incredible. They, they murdered the league that year and this isn't really their fault, but you know, Gabriel Landeskog has, I don't know if it's a career ending injury. I know he's trying to work his way back and he's doing that in Toronto for that matter uh, or the GTA, but all that aside, you can't, there's no replacing a star. And, and what are some of the things they've done, right? They they acquire or they sign Miles Woods. They sign Jonathan Druin. They acquire Ryan Johansson. They're, you know, all reasonable players that have been legitimate contributors on good teams, whatever. It's really hard when you lose a star. It re- It is. I mean, Calgary is probably not making the playoffs again this year. And I mean, they lost two stars in one offseason. They thought they were replacing at least one. I get it. That hasn't happened. It's just when you lose stars, it's so difficult. It really is. I, you know, I know people kind of just probably get tired of looking at the same guys all the time and they haven't won in the playoffs. And it's, you know, you sit there and go, well, they're getting rewarded and they haven't won shit. And I get it. I completely do. I'm just saying the fact that you've already signed Matthews, if you were to then just lose Marner over whatever, a million dollars even let's call it which was a lot so you know that's not nothing i just i don't see how the team gets better it, the whole point is winning the cup that's where we're at i i think that their odds are better by doing this than by not yeah absolutely it's uh it is interesting because you just kind of a lot of fans and this is justifiable like they're so locked in on their team at least fans are no different but like how many fan bases would kill to have a player like this? You know what I mean? Like you're a fan base that is in a rebuilding phase and you've got all these young guys that you're excited about and you're just praying that one of them would maybe become a player like this. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like you talk to Habs fans and they'll be like, oh, we've got all these like great young players. And I'm not saying that none of them are going to become stars or whatever, but like they're praying that one of these guys becomes the type of guy that Leafs fans are sick of seeing. And the Leafs just whacked San Jose, obviously. I mean, neither of those games were competitive. And also, whoever made the schedule and said, Leafs should play the Sharks on Saturday night in San Jose this last summer, should be out of a job. I, I don't know how they <laughs> saw that last summer when that's a sick Saturday night game. Terrible. 
talking on Canada. But, but I, I know. But but I remember 10 years ago watching the stacked San Jose teams with Thornton and Heatley and Marlowe and Dan Boyle. Don't call me off that's exactly 10 years ago, but the general point. And I remember them just torching the Leafs. Torching. Those guys would get on the power play and rip the puck around. And you'd sit there like a puppy dog going, they're, they're not even close. It's not even competitive. I remember watching Chicago and LA play each other in those amazing Western Conference finals. I still think that's the best. That one that wins seven, I still think is the best series we've seen in the past 20 some years. Just an incredible series and two incredible teams. And just watching them going, the Leafs can't even like take warm up against these guys. And you kind of watch the other side. I mean, that Matthews goal on the, you know, again, it's the Sharks. Absolutely ridiculous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Absolutely ridiculous. Right? Like, having guys that can do these things is really hard to get. <laughs> you know, you, this is the like this is the prime of that. At some point, you do have to kind of enjoy that a little bit well, too. Well, a lot of teams bottom out and they get all these top picks, but then they don't hit on all of them, right? Like the least hit on all these top picks in a row. Like that's no guarantee. Like yeah. they could have easily not taken Nylander at eight. They could have easily not taken Marner at four. I mean, obviously Matthews is the guy. Morgan Riley, people thought from a injury Ma- perspective. Matthews I mean, that's is a probably draft, the luckiest but... of the whole thing, to be honest. I mean, you you drafted the the best goal scorer in the league. I mean, yeah. look at Slavkovsky, and it's not it's not like that draft looks incredible. It's not like you're you're laughing at the Habs going, they could have drafted the guy who went second or third or fourth right now, and it would be unbelievable if they did. It just it was a bad draft year. Yeah, it's like, no guarantee. I mean, look at Riley's draft. Like, you could make a case for having Riley first overall in that season. Yeah. Like, it's it's just some of them are good. So the Leafs had these high picks, and they happened to be in good drafts, in good positions, and they nailed all of them. Like, it is a very weird circumstance where, again, we complain about it now, and those complaints are justifiable. If you're pissed that the Leafs have failed in the playoffs, I understand that 100%. But I guess maybe this is a little bit of a moment to have an understanding of some of the good fortune and you know, the relatively entertaining hockey, you know, as a least fan, you get to watch on a nightly basis where they are generally a competitive team because of these weird circumstances. So back to, well, not back to, but now moving forward for this season, they've, they've strung together some wins. They've, I don't want to say they've climbed the standings necessarily, but they've definitely reduced the gap between them, Florida and Boston. And I, I know you had this as a topic for today, so I'm kind of jumping ahead to it as as kind of a whole piece here. But what does looking competitive to you or what does what do they need to do to be give themselves the best possible chance here moving forward? Which I think ties into a few things we want to talk about. One being that third line left wing spot that I know you have tabbed, and two, the goaltending, and three, probably the defense. I mean, it, I think all three levels are worthy of discussion, but they're a good team. So I, I don't think it's as, I don't think it's crazy far off. A couple things. One, I understand the excitement about this California trip and then coming back and winning. Only one of those games was sort of truly exciting to me, which was sort of the first two periods against the Los Angeles Kings. Like you got to remember how terrible yeah. the shark, you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. there's a lot of excitement that's coming over this run and that's cool. And, you know, they absolutely stomped out the Sharks and there have been games they played against last place teams. Like they, they throw up the thing on the on the broadcast where it shows they played down to the opposition. So I'm not saying those games straight up don't count, but there might be sort of a, 
a disproportionate amount of good feeling to, and they have played again, they played well, like that Anaheim game, they played extremely well, even though they didn't get the scoring going until the 51st shot or whatever it was. Playing the Islanders next is really tough, but it's a really bad time to get the Islanders in the sense that you played three really bad opponents. I know it's two, technically it's two opponents, three games in a row. And it's really hard to go from playing that kind of level of hockey where you're just, they tilted San Jose. The whole game was basically a power play and, and then go play a real hockey team that actually does things like back check and doesn't just woefully get out of position and has guys that understand what the D zone is and the front of their own net. That's, that's really difficult to go from San, you know, it's not making excuses, just the reality. There are, I don't want to call it a schedule loss, but, working through the ups and downs of the schedule, there are times when things are favorable for you and times when things are not favorable. And this is that one. Yeah. I think a lot of discourse around teams, often the schedule isn't taken enough into consideration. Like people are down on team when they've just had a rough schedule and there's a tough schedule ahead for the Leafs, as you point out, but to circle back on what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, there's a three levels defense. We've been talking about all season. We're going to continue to talk about it. Goaltending is interesting because we had the news today that Samsonov is coming back before we've seen Hill to be at all, which is a bit of a shame. I don't think I, you know, we both talked about how we kind of wanted to see him play as a curiosity, not expecting him to carry any kind of load or, you know, Jones has been the guy. So there hasn't really been a need for that. Obviously um, that's an interesting position. I think that because Jones has been so good until proven otherwise, you're kind of okay to roll with that. I'm curious what happens with Samsonov if he draws in and I, you know, I don't think he's going to draw in much other than favorable situations as long as Jones is rolling, but I'm curious what happens if he really struggles again, right? Like this was a weird gambit sending him down to the HL and then having him sort of work independently and not get game action. Like it's a mental break essentially. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the Jack Campbell situation where they really wanted to get him some run and have him face some pucks. And I like the strategy though, to be honest with you, I, 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 okay I don't I don't dislike it. I just don't it's so opaque, right? We just don't know we don't know exactly what he did and what the effect will be until we see him in some games. But I wouldn't have the, played him in the American League either. The rope is gonna be interesting to see. Like if he comes out and has if his next two games are totally unplayable the way he's been for most of the season, yeah, then I think you gotta you have to make some considerations. But I, I don't think we need to get there yet. I think what's interesting is gonna be the forward group and you know, we're having a little internal competition here in a way that, you know, we've talked before about accountability and it, it matters more when it's the top guys. But, you know, Nick Robertson comes out of the lineup a couple of times there. We get Holmberg in. That's, you know, Holmberg was, uh, he was someone I was not on my mind for weeks at a time. Like, you know, he's, you know, he's around. Uh, and he comes in and, you know, he had his career high in ice time. He had that that goal on Tuesday night that was very pretty. Mitch Marner refers to him as uh, his favorite player in the NHL. It's like a weird spotlight moment for Pontus Holmberg. And one thing I thought was interesting on the broadcast was the implication, and I'm not sure I disagree, that you know this Leafs team is about the playoffs, right? Like they're almost assuredly going to get a playoff spot. It's about taking that next step. And the idea is that, yeah, like Robertson, I think he scored in three of his last four games. Like he's got that shot. He can do a lot for you. It doesn't need to be dismissed. But at the same time, there's going to be concerns when you have smaller players like him who plays, uh, you know, not a role in the power play, really. You know, he played on unit three. Uh, that's where he got his goal. Usually a unit that doesn't exist. Um, 
so about how Holmberg was sort of a more complete player, a guy who was bigger, able to win more puck battles for you, more defensively responsible. And so getting a look at him is potentially getting a look at someone who maybe helps you more in the playoffs. I think it's an interesting thought. I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that because obviously goals always have value. And I, I do, you know, I like Robertson's shot. It's hard not to. Um, he still is a guy who hasn't had a lot of time in the NHL. I could see him getting better with more reps, but Holmberg from being someone who, yeah, was really not top of mind for weeks at a time to suddenly having the spotlight is an interesting turn of events. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I would say on that is if either one of those players is in their top nine come playoff time, that is bad. There's no, there is no use for us to debate. Oh, which one is slightly better one brings a little bit more offense but basically can't break out of his own zone and continually gets stuffed against good teams and the other guy doesn't really produce much but you know he can take general shifts and i like holmberg it's not a knock on him i i think he takes solid shifts in the league i think he's heavy on a stick i think he's a little bit more nifty than he's probably given credit for i don't care about the one-handed goal against san jose that really here nor there i think it just shocks the goal that like i just don't think people knew that that was in his bag not that it's something you're able to replicate ever again but like it's just something none of us knew was possible so it's fun in that regard san jose is basically a made-up team at this point (laughs) i'm not really taking anything from them like whatever good for robertson for scoring too hopefully it makes him feel good all those things i think the bigger picture is sort of kind of what we saw today where we were getting prepared almost to talk about a potential Matthew Nye's injury, which the Leafs kind of threw cold water on afterwards and made it sound like he was okay. But for that, we'll call it an hour. I was looking at the lineup going, oh my God, if this guy's hurt, who's going up there? Noah Gregor, which they've done before. I mean, Pontus Holmberg, Nick, Re- it's who cares? That's it. That cannot happen. And I like Matthew Nye's. I think he's, I think he's getting better as the season goes along. I think he's figuring 100%. out the league and I think he's figuring out how to use his body in the league. I'm super encouraged by him, but you cannot live or die by being like every one in the top six needs to stay healthy or we're entirely screwed come playoff time. They need to bring in another forward of consequence. Like, it's not just a guy. Like it's not like Sam Lafferty is like a solid guy, but he's like that. It, it cannot be that call like caliber. Like it needs to be a legitimate forward, like a legit contributor. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, if if Nice had been out, I probably if I if I were them would have brought Yarn Croak up just because you've had that proof of concept before. But then you know your third line is already not considered the strength of your team. Terrible third you're gonna line. Ha- you're going to have a not a great third line in that case. You're going to be a two line team uh, if that's the situation. Yeah, I mean you already yeah. have some level of vulnerability with having Max Domi as your third line guy, and kind of you know we've talked before they kind of have two first lines and two fourth lines. And the structure is a little bit weird as it is, but it is. This does really point out how it's a fragile structure because once you, I don't know, yeah, once you have to pluck someone, whether it's Robertson, whether it's Yarncroke, and have them play at the lineup, the bottom is difficult. That third line spot, and yeah, you're right. I mean, realistically, if you're going to be playing, you know, the best teams in the league in the playoffs, you're going to be playing the Florida Panthers in round one, which is the most likely scenario. By no means is that you know written in stone. But hypothetically, if you are, uh, yeah, I don't think you want to be having a Holmberg-Robertson debate. I like the idea that Sheldon Keefe is thinking in terms of evaluation and that he's trying a little bit. But at the same time, it is going to be interesting because they just don't, and we've talked about this before, they just don't have a lot of ammunition for trade. So 
he maybe you would want to have another team really like Nick Robertson, for instance, like a team that is a rebuilding squad that can give you more of a ready-made third liner who can move up in a worst case scenario, like someone in a yarn croak mold. Uh, and maybe Robertson is part of the package that goes back with that because it is going to be difficult for him to play the kind of role that he would be best in with the Leafs. It's difficult to imagine him playing a, a big role in the play. Like, Honestly, when I think of Nick Robertson, I think his best role is on an absolutely garbage team playing second line and power play one. And like, he's not even close to any of that. 25 um, goals. Yeah, he's not like, that's just never going to happen for him. On, I think he's like a bad team, good stats guy. I think that's his potential, uh, I, which is cool. Like, I like his game. I do. I, like, I don't know I like if that's his, his potential, but I would say I think that's the best opportunity that's where for him trending. to grow. I think yeah. that would be the best for him to grow. And then eventually someone would be like, oh, like he's actually... I would almost look at like Frank Vitrano kind of similar in the sense that I know he's been good on good teams, but you know, seeing the goal scoring explosion and stuff like that. And he's played on some really bad teams too, where it's kind of like you needed the ice time to really figure things out. And it's hard for Robertson to figure things out when he's playing eight, nine minutes a night. That's just the reality. That's hard for him for skill guys in general. That's hard. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting because he's caught in between a, a point where He's not helping the Leafs enough that they feel the need to have him in the lineup, right? Like they're happy to have a guy like Holmberg in the lineup instead. And at the same time, you know, you could argue he's not helping his development. But this, you know, how much time in the A do you really want him to have? Like he's he's in a weird point in his career where he, yeah, he doesn't really fit the team that he's on. And it, it would you can envision a scenario where you let him go, and yeah, he he scores twenty five goals somewhere. But if I were the Leafs, I'd be kind of trying to convince other teams that that's the scenario that's going to happen because I like him. Uh, as a chip more than I like him as the guy on the third line, even though, you know, Domi to Robertson has been an interesting connection at times. Yep. And I think that it may using that as a scoring line and that as the fulcrum of that line and having Yaron Crote being the guy who goes after rebounds and drives the end. So like there's an offensive mechanism that sort of works with all of that, but I just, I don't know if it's all going to be worth it in the end. And I'm curious if he continues to put up, I don't know, like half a point a game and scores a notable amount of goals. If, he is a is a chip that people are interested in. Yeah, ultimately, when I look at it, so do you have a guy in mind? Because I have a guy in mind, and I bring this up because I people were asking in the comments, and I said I'll wait till the podcast because I have a guy in mind, and um, I know what I would be trying to do right now, and how I would be trying to angle this. But I'll I'll throw it to you first to see if you uh, have I, you go for it because I yeah you could you should have told me that I need to bring a guy. I'd rather just criticize your guy. Go for perfect. It. So, and I do think it's a team that should be interested in in Nick Robertson. And we've already talked about them a little bit in the fact that it's Calgary. And mm. we've talked about Chris Tanev. I'm not going to go down that road any further than to say I think that they should acquire him and he should play with Morgan Riley and it should push some guys down their defense depth chart and they should look at it that way. But I think you could kind of competently fill out this roster in one move with Calgary and the guy that I would target alongside Tanev. And I think that Calgary should look at trading him because he has term left on his contract and they should be rebuilding is Blake Coleman. And what complicates that is that Coleman is having an unbelievable year. He has 17 goals already and he's played 41 games. I mean, he is, he is on one and I don't really care about that. I just look at Coleman and say, this guy's lines dominate every year, every year, every team, unbelievable he has three years left on his deal they should be trying to shed salary like crazy that team should be going into a rebuild they lost to a chicago team that 
was playing an AHL roster on Sunday. I could not believe it when I watched that game. I if people did not see who Chicago dressed, I go look it up. It is Colin Blackwell was on line one and he scored <laughs> twice. And so all that to say is to me, he kind of he fits the bill in that I think if your third line was Blake Coleman, Max Domi, Callie Yarncroft, you would feel unbelievably good about that. You would keep your top six intact. You would have fill-in solutions at every position. He's the kind of guy to me, I, I and as much as I love Nyes, I, I do think at times he has struggled defensively. I don't know how much you would love playing him in a game that you're protecting a one-goal lead with five minutes left kind of thing. So having a guy like Blake Coleman around allows you to move him up to close out games with Matthews and Marner. And it allows you to kind of, this is my sales pitch to you, by the way, on all this. <laughs> and it allows you to kind of rekindle the third checking line that the Leafs like, which is Gregor Camp Yarncroft. So I'm saying you can, if you're, if you're protecting a lead, you, you move up Coleman, you put together that checking line, you keep that Bertuzzi Tavares Nylander line. That's been really good. And if you're, down a goal you just keep that top nine as it is if it's a tie game you keep that top nine as it is and all around like i think that they would be a fairly complete forward group with that one and i like honestly i like the added i know that his price tag is a little bit heavy for what he is but at the same time the leafs do have some cap space next year i think the cap situation has been a little bit overblown and I also think he's just good insurance if they lose Tyler Bertuzzi for next year. I'm not saying he can replace Bertuzzi, but you do need competent left wingers on the team. And it can't just be Matthew Nyes. So if you have Coleman already down pat for next year, you would basically already have Nyes, Matthews, Marner returning, Tavares, Nylander, Coleman, Yarncroft, And then you'd have to fill out two spots in your top nine one way or the other. I think you'd feel pretty good about it. I mean, yeah, I, I think the the version of me poo-pooing that is about the contract and it's about the length of time and it's about the age of the player. You know what I mean? You're like, trying to win, but do you think he's good right now? Yeah, yeah, I do and think he's cares. good right You're now. He's helpful you, right now. you got to like, try to win. Three more years close to $5 million as he enters yeah. his mid-30s. So again, like this is me. It's sort of like the coach GM, right? Like he's a player the coach would love to have on his bench tomorrow and the GM would not necessarily like to have on his cap sheet. But I, I, I get the fit in the, in the sense that Calgary is the short sort of team that should be looking for, you know, that's the exact opposite of what Calgary has had, right? Guys who can create yeah. dynamic offense in a short period of time and guys who can finish. So I like that component of it. He's he's not the player that I would go for, but I, I get the, the impulse. And they do, I don't know, it's going to be interesting because I really feel like they have one trait of consequence in them just in terms of the what they might be willing to give up. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it's two big trades, but it, it just doesn't feel like there's a ton in terms of ammunition. And so my inclination is to, you know, it's the boring inclination, but is to, is that it's going to be a defenseman somewhere along the line. Um, whether that's, as we discussed, someone who's on the right side, who's playing with Riley and has you shifting things up or someone you bring to the second pair, uh, that's where I would go if I'm like, what is the one thing I'm doing? And then if my third line is in the playoffs, hell, if it is Holmberg and Domi and Yarncroke and that's the weakness of the team, that's the weakness of the team. But I'd rather that be the weakness than the defense. Yeah, if obviously if it's one or the other, you have to go defense. I think um, I just I think Brody's on decline. We've talked about it. I've been pretty clear on it. I think he was in decline last year. I think it's been exasperated this year. 
Um, but I would also look at the four group and say, I personally, if you were saying perfect world, at least have a ton of assets, all that stuff. To me, not only do they need to fill that third line left wing spot, but they also need to fill that fourth line right wing spot with a proper righty veteran that like, it's not like that fourth line is good. It's, Passable, I mean, I think we, I th but... we've been conditioned to having watched like Reeves for the first chunk yeah. of the season and be like, oh, it, it functions, yeah. it bangs around. The bar can't be Reeves isn't here. It's not <laughs> completely terrible. Let's call it a day. The bar should be, is this a good fourth line? It's not a good fourth line. And I've I've liked certain things that they've done. It's not to knock on them. I'm just saying if we're, if we're going to be honest about it, I'm going to look at the fourth line and say it it does need some sort of improvement. It's just not good enough as things currently stand. And for all I know, that could be putting McMahon on the left and actually replacing Gregor. I have no, like, it could be, you could easily sell me on that. I like what McMahon brings. I kind of like, big, yeah, he skates. I like Mc, he's, McMahon is one of those guys that, like, I like more than I should have, should. And it's partly just, maybe just as a, someone who's watched at least for recent years, you just like seeing someone with size. Yeah. But also, like. He also threw one of the biggest hits we've seen a Leaf throw. And he shouldn't have been kicked out. But he absolutely <laughs> trucked him. It was a kid, but he trucked him. Yeah, and so like I think that he he brings a physical aspect in a way that's sort of like not obnoxious, if that's the right terminology. Like he's it's in aid of hockey. It's maybe it's not like the prettiest hockey or it's gonna get you a goal or whatever, but he's he's not like a rat. Like he's not someone who's going out of his way trying to hurt people for the sake oh. of hurting them. Like he he's just a guy with a big body who throws it around and has a little bit of scoring ability. I mean, he's shown at the A. It hasn't really shown up at the NHL level. I could, yeah, I can see him being a functional fourth line player. Like I, Gregor's a yeah. funny player to me because he's just fast and he gets the puck on the left wing and he rips a shot from the circle. Like <laughs> so many plays. Like I, you could have to a me, comical run of those plays. To me, exactly he's there. the new, he's the new Dan Paye. You might remember Dan Paye when he played for Boston when they won the cup and a number of years. Dan Paye was a high pick. Gregor doesn't have that going for him, but Paye was kind of similar in the sense that he was fast and every 10 games or so, just like Gregor, he would score just an unbelievable goal, just had an absolute cannon. And that's what Gregor does. Gregor, there will be games where I have to actively remind myself that he's playing in them. Like I'll sit oh, around and be sure. like, like is, Gre is Gregor playing tonight? And I like him. Like, he skates around, he's fast and he'll finish his hits and whatnot. And he has a great shot that he just has the blinders on and he just goes down the wall and he just rips them. But, you know, once every couple of weeks, he'll have a game where we go, whoa, whoa, <laughs> what was that? I mean, he was he was great when the Leafs beat Florida. Oh, that yeah. was probably his best game of the season. But the fact that he's capable is, is somewhat noteworthy. Just yeah, again, the flip side is he just has too many games where I just wonder if he's, you know, I'll actively make a note to myself, be like, why don't you just look for him next shift, see if you can find him. Yeah, for sure. And and he, there's an interesting penalty killing component with him, but they, it's weird because early in the season we talked a lot about how uh, the Leafs, were, you know, or Sheldon Keefe did about how the Leafs were short on penalty killers, and it felt like there weren't enough guys. And it we just, have to manufacture penalty killers. Was yeah, manufacture was the word that he used. And it doesn't feel like that anymore. I mean, obviously, Camp and Marner is something they want to roll out. and But with Matthews and Nylander chipping in, I saw Nylander coming in on the first uh, first shift on a kill the other night. I haven't seen that in a long time. Like, it's... Uh, I do think it was slightly overblown. Gregor. You like you had Camp, Marner, and Yarn Crockett. Like, that's three of that's your top three four. three of four, like, yeah. Like, come on. I know yeah. you have to make up one, and there's going to be mistakes and stuff, but... 
let's not go crazy here. You returned three out of four. Yeah, but he's a coach, right? Like a coach, yeah. the way the coach's right. mind works is they want to fill every single possible contingency. Yeah, I actually think the bigger issue was on defense with Justin Hole, who's, if nothing else, he was good at, he would stand at the dot and he would block the one-timer and he was reasonably active with his stick and he, you know, he was 6'2", like 6'3", he had a good reach to him. And they just, you know, I talked about Max Lajoie last episode. They've had some guys kind of tentatively walk into the sh- the shooting lane going, I like, I really hope this doesn't hit me. And I'm, that can't I'm in be- the area. Yeah. And now you got to sit there and go 40 year old Mark Giordano is like, <laughs> like diving head first, like perfect hit me. Don't get, don't get to the net, which is super commendable. But yeah, I, I think, I think Tanev would help in that department. I think he would help Riley. I think it would just the domino effect on the defense, which, um, you know, I know everyone's like, yeah, they look good right now. Cause again, we talked about who they played the past couple weeks or the past couple games in the, over the past week, but I, I still think they need a little bit of injection of quality. I don't think anyone's kidding themselves on that. I just, not that Tana was incredible, but I think he's solid. I think Lilligren's returning and like ascension up the lineup has been notable. Um, you know, he's still young. I, I'll keep going back to it. He hasn't even played 200 games in the league yet. It just, it takes defenseman time. Like this might be Morgan Riley's best ever season. It's very close. It's definitely in his top, top three without blinking. I think top two, the 20 goal season was pretty spectacular. Um, and insane and, just and, in the context of the rest of his career. Yeah. Uh, he's like not really a shooter. No, but I mean, also in the context of Brody struggling this year that, you know, that more has been asked of Riley uh, and he's been better. I think it's interesting because there is a lot of discussion right now about how the Leafs have improved their defensive play when, you know, you can look at any number under the sun from an advanced perspective that will tell you that they've been one of the worst teams in the league in terms of just allowing opportunities. And it's like, oh, these last four games, like there really hasn't been, you know, that the the highway to the net, whatever cliche you want to say. It's like, if you make a highway to the net for the San Jose Sharks, like yeah. you're next level bat, like you're not an NHL team. So it'll be interesting in the next couple of weeks to watch if any of that like sticks for lack of a better term, because yes, you can say the Leafs are playing better defense, but it defense is all about what's coming at you and what's coming at them again, other than the Kings game has been pretty trash. So it, I have their credit really... though, Carolina too, who is legit and Carolina waxed the Rangers like right after they played the Leafs it was like seven, one or something. So I think they do get some credit, but I also think large part of point of it making now for a month and a half, it's like anytime the forwards want to back check, the Leafs are good defensively. And anytime those guys just like let the, you know, the neutral zone is just a community pool of people going all over the place, wherever they want, whenever they want. It's bad. And that's what it, it felt like a lot. The guys just pushing for offense and whatever. But when they actually dialed in and started checking, the Leafs are good defensively because the Leafs forwards are so good and they play so much. When they dial in, the, the you know, it makes the defense's job so much easier. It also might be something of a self-fulfilling prophecy where because they've had this weak opposition, they've had an opportunity to play within the structure they want and it gives them muscle memory and it gives them understanding and reps in terms of this is the way we play to succeed at the highest level and even if it can't be applied 100% to a better opponent it can be applied 80% to a better opponent and it, there's just something to be said for building a little bit of momentum and building an understanding of what you playing at your best looks like even if the fact that the opposition is really unimpressive 
makes the accomplishments against them less impressive. Yeah. And then by and large, well, I think we should just circle on goaltending for a little bit. I know you talked about Sam Snoff returning. Um, and I know that we talked a little bit about what their assignment was with him, which again, I think was the right approach. I, I don't think there's any purpose of playing in the American league. It's just the structure of it is nowhere near the NHL. And for a goalie in particular, who not Sam Snoff, but just the general position, which is so structured and routine and based on reading the play as much as anything, I think to go from one to the other, plus like the level of shooter going down, like, you know, even when they brought up Hill to be Keith made some, some comments about, you know, Matthews blowing some by him in practice. And I mean, Matthews is the best goal scorer in the world. So that's what he's going to do to pretty much any goalie, but just, you know, you could tell that I think that they, if you read the tea leaves on a couple of things, Sheldon was saying over the past week, it really felt like he was like, Watching this kid in practice, going, I don't know if this kid's ready. If I want to put him in NHL, well, they had games. opportunities to use him right against bad yeah. teams on yeah. back to backs. Like there was, if you yeah. wanted to use him, they would have used him. Yeah, and I think they were watching him in practice, kind of looking at Heath's quotes, going, "I don't know about that," which is funny because like San Jose is not an NHL team. But that part aside, we you look at it now. Sam Snoff's back. I do think that they owe it to give it a chance again. Um, I know people are tired of hearing it. I get it. I just ultimately, again, I'll always just go back to it. They're not that far removed from him outplaying Andre Vasilevsky in the playoffs. And maybe that's the highlight of his career. I don't know. Um, I think that buys you at least a little bit of something to say, hey, can we get this guy back? It's been, what, three bad months. I, You know, he didn't speak to the media after practice today. I think the Leafs should do more of that. We've talked about that, too. I just think some of the things that he's saying is just it's counterproductive. It's negative. Early on the season, he was talking about needing glasses because he was leading point shots and stuff like that. I just, I don't see how that helps your game. Just don't say that kind of stuff. Just don't let that seep into your body language and your overall mindset. He's a bit of a different character, yeah. though. Like that's All the way he are. likes to talk. Goalies yeah. are. If you're a goalie listening to this, like you're probably a little bit out there too. Every single goalie history of all time is a little bit out there. That's the position. But you can't be going on to Toronto media and just ripping on yourself all the time you just can't you can't do it don't do that to yourself and the Leafs should protect them and I know you know it's like well don't let him speak the rest of the season but I don't think you can do that either just because if he does continue playing like shit you can't trot out the team to speak on his behalf like that's just I think that's a poor look I just ultimately think like they should sit there with him and say stop saying that stuff I felt the same when Jack Campbell used to do it and they, he would get really down on himself be like stop like just don't do this to yourself in this situation so We'll try whatever Jones has been fine. I think once Will returns, I, you know, he'll lead in a few games to shake off the rust. Most likely. He also came back last year with the Marlies and ripped like a, a 10 game winning streak or something along those lines. You know, I'm not saying he'll do that in the NHL. I'm just saying the goaltending doesn't bother me as much as it seems to bother other people. I think when the Leafs check defensively, I think that they're more than capable in that by and large. Yeah, I mean, and if you look ahead at the schedule, you're looking at some of the back-to-backs you'd potentially be playing Samsonov. You know, it's Red Wings at home. A couple weeks and week yeah. after that, it's cracking on the road. Like, you know, Jones has shown that, and he's not going to be this good, you know, just not not that he's had, like his numbers are better than he's had to be because he's been playing against these teams and yeah. they've played well in front of him. And so like he has great save percentages, but often he's not been called upon to be incredible by any means. But you can use Samsonov pretty lightly. 
you can use them in relatively low pressure spots against not great teams. Like there's a way to massage this situation. And yeah, maybe he comes out and absolutely face plants a couple in a row, then things get a little bit dicier, but there's not a lot of back-to-backs on the schedule. Wool will be back at some point soon. You know, Hildeby could be a big part of this team's future. So if they felt that preserving him, you know, if he wasn't quite ready, that trotting him out and potentially hurting his confidence was going to be something that affected him or had the potential to affect him, having to suffer through, you know, two potentially bad but not guaranteed to be bad Samsonov starts in the next month is by no means a devastating thing for the Leafs. It's just not. As we talk today, the Leafs are 13th in five-on-five save percentage. And that's with Samsonov letting in shots from the blue line with no traffic for like two months. I mean, honestly, it doesn't... Whatever, I'm not going to sit here and, and argue that their goalies are elite or whatever. And, and I, do, I, do need, I do know that you need a good level of goaltending to win in the playoffs, I'm aware. I just I think that they're capable of getting it. I think they're capable of checking and creating the environment where their goalies can succeed. I just... Yeah, I don't know. Everyone wants to talk about goaltending. I just... I, whatever. I think it's I think the goaltending will I think that playoff goaltending will probably come from Wool or it won't. Like I mean, I maybe there's some like situation where it ends up being Martin Jones or whatever, but in terms of if I'm thinking like are the Leafs gonna get good goaltending in the playoffs, it's probably a matter of can Wool give it to them or not. And you know, there's definitely lots of positive signs with them. And I you know, is he as proven as some of the guys other teams will have? No. But is that something that, you know, we don't live in a world anymore where everyone feels like they have to have this guy who's been through six playoff runs and won two cups to win the cup. Like, I think we used to believe in the past more like, oh, you need this battle tested guy who's who's done it before or else you have no shot. And it's just history has shown us that's not the case. It's, it'd be great. Be great to have like a guy with a few Vesnas on the shelf who could do it for you. But it's Aiden just like Hill, that Jordan is- Bennington, it's a made up position. Yeah, like Niami, there's, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, yeah. that's not the way it is. That's not how the Maple Leafs are, are going to win. They're not going to win with a big-name goaltender right now. Uh, you know, if you think about their cap situation next year with Nylander, we didn't drill down, down on that, and we're not, because we're pretty much running out of time here. But, you know, it's wool not costing them anything is part of what potentially makes next season less of a problem compared to what it could be, is like paying, you know, less than a million dollars for a guy who's your 1A or whatever the situation is. Like And they're fine with that because that's in today's NHL. You get a few guys, you get depth. They got lucky with the Jones passing through waivers situation. They had depth. Depth has been as good as you could possibly envision. And here you are. They've played three goaltenders and they're a month away or however long they're away from Wool coming back and them being in a decent spot where it's just not what keeps you up at night. As a Leafs fan, there will be plenty of things that keep you up at night from here to the end of the Leafs run. I promise you that. And uh, maybe goaltending doesn't have to be one of them. So we're going to leave it there today. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening in. We'll be with you again at some point next week. I could always just look ahead of the schedule and figure out when would be most logical, but uh, we tend to do that after the show. So you will have to figure out when we announce that. And as always remind you guys, we appreciate the ratings and reviews you've been leaving on the new edition of the show. Uh, it's helpful for reasons I don't 100% understand, but uh, I know we've got a great community here at Maple Leafs Hot Stove, and we've been seeing some of the ones you've been putting up, and uh, it's fantastic work. Thank you. 